Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dog Soldier, an Apex Predator story. Make a simple plan, inform everyone involved with it, don't change it, kick it in the ass. Colonel Charlie Beckwith, 1st Special Forces Operational Detachment, Delta. 1300 Hours Zulu, June 12, 2010, Nuristan Province, Afghanistan. First Sergeant William Gregel crouched behind a boulder and began scanning the mountain pass ahead with the scope of his MK-17 Scar-H rifle. The sweat ran down his face in rivulets, dripping from the tip of his nose and chin. He was walking point for his rifle squad. It wasn't uncommon for him to take point, since the team had learned that his instincts were almost superhuman when looking for insurgents. He slowly swept the pass ahead, looking for any sign of ambush or IEDs. He slowed his breathing and let the calm spread over his body. Despite the shimmering waves of heat, he was able to see crisp details along both sides of the pass. They had to go through this section of the mountains if they were going to make it to the rendezvous with the rest of the platoon. What do you see, Top? whispered Staff Sergeant Jacob Mumbles McKinney. Gray Eagle didn't answer. He just held up one finger from his non-firing hand and continued to sweep the pass. The jagged rock formations on these mountains left so many places to hide, and it was almost impossible to find them all. The sides of these mountains were also riddled with caves of sufficient size to hide a large force of insurgents. Looking for them was like finding a needle in a haystack. Are we clear to proceed? asked McKinney. I don't know yet, whispered Gray Eagle, but if you're in a hurry, go ahead and stand up. If you get killed, we'll know it's not safe. Uh, no thanks, Top. Love you, too. Gray Eagle froze when he saw a glint of light reflecting from a shiny surface. It was likely the scope of an enemy sniper. Contact, whispered Gray Eagle. Get Ruiz up here. Got it, Top whispered McKinney, sliding back from the position and motioning for another man to move up. He crawled toward where Gray Eagle still crouched beside the rock and slowly got into position. 
and pushing his bony hat back on his head, Ruiz brought his M24 SWS rifle up into position. Carefully, he removed the lens covers from his scope, and he readied the rifle. Show me the way, Top, said Ruiz softly. Far side of the ravine, said Gray Eagle. 600 meters, approximately halfway up the side. Look for the boulder that looks like a horse's head. Got the boulder, said Ruiz. 30 meters left and 10 up, said Gray Eagle. Jagged fork in the rocks, dark brown lines on the rock formation. Got it, Top, said Ruiz. Where's he at? He's in that gap, said Gray Eagle. Wait for him to move. He's panning this side of the ravine looking for us. Got him, said Ruiz. Am I clear to fire? Fire when ready, said Gray Eagle. Holy Father, whispered Ruiz, let my aim be true and my bullet be swift so that I may defend my brothers from harm. Gray Eagle had heard the prayer many times before. It was how Ruiz, a devout Catholic, justified killing, and he said it kept his conscience clear. Amen, whispered Ruiz as he exhaled softly. The sharp crack of the 762 by 51 millimeter round shattered the stillness. Gregel watched through his scope as the insurgent sniper tried to turn toward the sound, only to have the side of his head blown apart by the precision shot from Ruiz. Confirmed hit, said Gregel. Tango down. Ruiz and Gregel continued to watch that section, waiting for another insurgent to take their place. And after a few minutes, there were no more signs of movement. Do you think he was alone? asked Ruiz. Looks that way, replied Gray Eagle. I'm going to do another sweep before we move, just in case. After several minutes, Gray Eagle leaned back from his rifle and motioned for the rest of the squad to move up. I think we're clear, said Gray Eagle. Contact, said Ruiz. I've got movement up near the sniper position. Gray Eagle immediately motioned for the others to get down and return to his scope. Zeroing in on the position, he found the exact spot and began to search the area. What did you see, Ruiz? I I'm not sure. It was movement. Could you be a little less helpful? asked Gray Eagle. Well, it looked like, Ruiz said and then trailed off. It looked like what? asked Gray Eagle. You're going to think I'm nuts, Top, said Ruiz. Well, just tell me what you saw, said Gray Eagle. It looked like a big gorilla. It was carrying off the dead sniper. A few chuckles came from the group behind them, but Gray Eagle didn't laugh. Tell me exactly what you saw, said Gray Eagle, turning to look at Ruiz. Well, it was big, said Ruiz, like seven or eight feet tall. It had the dead guy slung over its shoulder like a bag of potatoes. Only the guy looked like a kid compared to this thing. Ruiz thinks he saw Bigfoot in Afghanistan, said McKinney, laughing. I didn't say it was a Bigfoot, snapped Ruiz. Are you sure that's exactly what you saw, asked Gray Eagle. Yeah, Top, said Ruiz. I didn't see the face, but I saw the side of its head. I saw the ear and the profile of its nose. It was flat like a gorilla and the head sloped back like a cone, and it was moving on two legs. What color was it? Dark brown, said Ruiz, and shaggy hair and all. See, it's a Bigfoot, said McKinney. 
Gregle gave McKinney a sharp look and he quit laughing. Don't be so quick to dismiss this, said Gregle. I didn't know creatures like that existed here, but I can tell you with certainty they do exist. I've tracked them in the Rockies and been close to one four times. They can be dangerous. We better use caution when we bed down for the night. Now we got Bigfoot insurgents to worry about, Sasquatch Taliban, said McKinney. A few of the team members chuckled. With any luck, said Gray Eagle, it'll be content with the meal it just carried off and leave us alone. If you don't bother them, they won't bother you. At least, that's how the ones in America act. Crap, whispered McKinney, looking anxiously at the rocks around them, as if this stuff wasn't bad enough already. Gregel slid back from the rock and did a quick head count. His nine-man team was just where they were supposed to be. He was a squad leader with McKinney as his assistant. Sergeant Emilio Ruckus Ruiz was the team sniper. Sergeant Nico Knuckles Montenegro was the team medic with Corporal David Big Mac McMasters and Sergeant Liam Garrison on the squad automatic weapons. The remaining three were riflemen carrying the same rifle Gray Eagle carried. They were Sergeant Keegan Johnson, Sergeant Hideki Fuji Fujikawa, and Corporal Ronan Bear Bronson. Let's move, said Gray Eagle. I want to get through this pass before nightfall. That's going to be a tough schedule to keep, said McKinney. That's ten clicks through some nasty terrain. The alternative is to spend the night in the pass with the insurgents and the monsters, said Gray Eagle. Right, said McKinney. A brisk walk will do us some good. Gray Eagle chuckled and motioned for the team to follow him as he headed into the pass. They moved silently, falling into their assigned positions and covering every direction. The tension level was high since they weren't sure if they were walking into an ambush. Gray Eagle was in constant motion. Step, look left. Step, look right. Step, sweep the ground. And step, look up. And then he'd start the whole thing over again. His head was on a constant swivel as he led the team into the pass. The air felt oppressive, and he imagined eyes on them from every shadow and behind every boulder, but the entire area was eerily silent. Time seemed to pass as if each second were an eternity. They were all on high alert, listening for any sound that might betray the location of their enemy. Moving through a boulder field where an avalanche had buried part of the trail, they were surprised to see something glistening among the rocks. What the hell is that? asked McKinney. Gregel shot him a dirty look for breaking the silence, and then he sighed. They'd been pushing hard for hours. They might as well take a break. So motioning for them to take a break, Greg will scan the area as he took a long pull from the mouthpiece of his camelback water bladder. Hey, Top, said Ruiz. Check this out. What is it? asked Gregel, not turning around. Is this what I think it is? Ruiz said, his voice taking on an awed quality. You know about rocks and stuff, right? Gregel turned to look at him and saw Ruiz holding a crystal about the size of a fist. It was rough and had jagged edges with a brownish tint to it. What are you asking me for? said Gray Eagle. Just because I'm a Lakota doesn't mean I know every rock and weed on the planet. Top, I think it's a diamond, said Ruiz. 
No damn way, said Fujikawa. It's way too big. That thing is massive. It's got to be a quartz. I don't think so, said McKinney. I think he's right. This stuff is everywhere. It busted out of these boulders when they fell. I seriously doubt it's a diamond, said Gray Eagle. Toss me a chunk. McKinney picked up a piece about the size of a silver dollar and tossed it to him. Gregel caught it and began examining it. He turned it over in his hand and held it up to the light. I have no idea, he said. Looks like any other crystal I've ever seen. I don't know anything about gems or crystals. He reached into his vest and unsheathed his knife. The seven and three-quarter inch blade gleamed in the sunlight as he sat the crystal on a rock. Using the handle, he smacked it against the crystal with enough force to knock it flying. He reached over and picked up the crystal and found it didn't have a mark on it. He tried scratching it with the tip of his blade, but it left no mark. You might be right, Mumbles, said Gregel, grinning. He tossed the stone back to McKinney. You're not going to keep it, Top? asked McKinney. No, said Gregel, I'll pass. This place doesn't feel right. As my people would say, this place has bad medicine. Well, as my people would say, replied McKinney, you could effing retire off a handful of these rocks. Well, if they're real diamonds, countered Gray Eagle, but if they're just quartz, then you're just adding significant weight to your packs and we still have a long way to go. I'm not going to notice a few pounds, said McKinney, stuffing several large pieces into his pack. Everyone on the team was doing the same, finding large chunks and slipping them into their rucksacks. Gregel frowned, but he didn't stop them. Do you really think it's bad, Juju? asked Ruiz. I do, said Gregel. I can't say why. It just feels wrong. Ruiz seemed to consider it for a moment. Are you going to listen to his mumbo-jumbo crap? asked McKinney. You could have enough money to put your great-grandkids through college with half of what I've got in my pack. Ruiz frowned and selected several large stones, and he started placing them in his pack. Sorry, Top, said Ruiz. I don't want to raise my kids in the same crappy southeast L.A. neighborhood I grew up in. My girl's pregnant back home, and I want to get us a nice house away from all the gangs and drugs. I get it, said Gregel. I totally understand. Do what you feel is best for you, Ruiz. Just remember, once you get it back to the FOB, you still got to figure out how to get it back to the States. The Army isn't exactly happy about you collecting souvenirs, especially valuable ones. We're allowed to die here, but we're not allowed to profit from it. I've got that covered, said McKinney. I'm in a relationship with a specialist in supply. She'll help us get it all back. Hell, she probably won't even want a cut of the action. Well, now, why would she do that? asked Gray Eagle. She could get in a lot of trouble if she gets caught. Well, she's kind of under the impression we're getting married when we get back to the world, said McKinney. And how did she get that impression? asked Gray Eagle, shaking his head. Let me guess, you led her to believe that that was going to happen. Well, I kind of asked her, said McKinney, grinning, but it was the only way to get her in bed. She wasn't going to give it up otherwise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Gregle scowled and shook his head. That's not right, Mumbles, he said. You shouldn't treat people like that. Come on, Top. She's a desert queen. Here, she's like a nine. But back in the world, she's a three at best. You can bet your butt the minute we hit the world, she's pregnant and a spandex-wearing dependopotamus ruining my life. Wankantanka will not look favorably on you, Mumbles, muttered Gregel, turning back to the trail. Well, it's a good thing I'm a Baptist then, replied McKinney. That drew a few chuckles, but Gregel just ignored them and motioned for them to move out. Ruck up and get your heads out of your fourth point of contact, admonished Gregel. We're still in enemy territory. We need to move quietly and keep your voices down. Moving forward, Gregel set the pace as quickly as he could while maintaining a safe footing in the broken terrain. The team was quietly doing their jobs, moving cautiously while constantly sweeping for signs of threats. Contact, hissed Gregel, going to one knee behind a rock while motioning for the team to take cover. Bringing up his weapon, he began scanning the area where he'd seen movement. Ruiz brought up his rifle and joined Gregel, searching for any sign of insurgents. What'd you see, Top? asked McKinney. It was just a flash of movement, replied Gregel, but it was moving fast. I only got a glimpse of it. Incoming, shouted Ruiz, pointing. Gregel turned and saw a massive rock about the size of a basketball arching through the air and heading right for them. Take cover, roared Gregel. Scrambling out of the way of the heavy projectile, they all dove behind boulders. The rock slammed into the boulder where McKinney had just been standing moments before and exploded into razor-sharp shrapnel. Shards went flying in every direction and they could hear them impacting with the surrounding boulders. Is anyone hurt? snapped Gregel. One by one, they all checked in. No one had been hit by the flying slivers of rock. What in the hell was that? roared McKinney. I think it was one of those things that carried off that dead sniper, said Ruiz. I saw a big hairy arm extend over that boulder about a hundred meters up that side of the ravine. Find that son of a bitch and smoke his ass, shouted McKinney. Ruiz looked at Gregel for confirmation. See if you can get a shot, affirmed Gregel. I'm going to see if I can get a shot too. Ruiz aimed in the direction where the rock had been thrown. Incoming, roared Fujikawa. It's behind us. Gregel spun around in time to see a rock about the diameter of a bowling ball slam into McKinney's leg when he tried to dive out of the way. McKinney screamed in pain, and they heard the cracking of bone. It was obvious that the leg was broken. 
McKinney went down, hitting the ground and striking his face on the side of the boulder. It knocked him unconscious, and they could see blood seeping out onto the ground around his head. Knuckles, roared Gregel. Get to McKinney. On it, Top, replied Montenegro. Making his way to the fallen ranger, Montenegro kept a wary eye on the mountain above them. Ruiz, watch that side, ordered Gray Eagle. I'll cover this side. Everyone else, watch for movement. Weapons were brought up and people began sweeping the rocks above them for signs of movement. Top, shouted Montenegro. McKinney's going to need a dust off. He's hurt bad. Can you stabilize him? Asked Gray Eagle without taking his eyes off the spot where the rock had been thrown. I put a tourniquet on the leg, said Montenegro. He's got compound fractures of the left tib and fib. He's also got a nasty cut on his forehead, and he could have a concussion. He's out cold, but his pupils are screwed up. He needs a doctor, not a medic. There's no way we can get a chopper in here to extract him, said Gray Eagle. We're in the middle of nowhere. Do your best to get him patched up. We're going to have to move if we want to get him to an extraction point. Where's the closest possible spot? asked Montenegro. I'll check my map in a sec, said Gray Eagle. We can't stay here. Those things are just going to keep pelting us with rocks unless we get out of range. Boom! Ruiz's rifle thundered out and echoed around the pass. I got him, hissed Ruiz. I didn't hear you pray, replied Gray Eagle. I only pray before I shoot men, replied Ruiz. That thing ain't no man. That face is going to give me nightmares. Did you kill it? asked Montenegro. Well, if I didn't, it's having a really bad day, replied Ruiz. I shot it in the left eye, and I saw bone and blood fly. If that didn't kill it, I don't know what will. Above them, they heard the shriek and roar that echoed off into the distance. It sounded part gorilla and part lion, and it lasted far longer than expected. Whatever made the call had massive lung capacity. What the hell was that, hissed Fujikawa. I don't know, said Ruiz, but I see several of those things moving off into the deeper parts of the mountains. I think we scared them off. I don't think so, whispered Gray Eagle. They'll be back. I sure hope not, said Ruiz. I saw at least six of those things. They were moving way too fast for me to get a shot on one. Knuckles, said Gray Eagle. Get McKinney ready to move. We got to get out of here before the sun goes down. Montenegro nodded and went to work on McKinney. He pulled out a pressure bandage and poured a little water on it and covered the exposed bone. Next, he started a pair of IVs, one with an antibiotic drip and the other a unit of the FDP or freeze-dried plasma he carried in his kit. He rolled up his poncho and put it beneath McKinney's head to keep it elevated. Cleaning the head wound, he put a bandage over it and then wrapped it with several layers of gauze. Checking his airway, he made sure McKinney's breathing was unobstructed. That's the best I can do in the field, Top, said Montenegro. We've got to get him to a field hospital as fast as we can. I don't have a clue how bad that head wound is or if there's trauma to the brain. He's not in good shape. Thanks, Knuckles, said Gray Eagle. Get him ready to move and watch him. We're going to get him out of here. Gray Eagle removed a folded map from one of the pouches on his vest and began studying it. Taking out his compass, he began looking around the area and consulting the readings. After a moment, he looked up. 
The closest place where we can get a chopper in is a village about four clicks away, he said, glancing at his compass. We'll have to take a different part of the pass. What's the problem? asked Ruiz. It's away from our rendezvous point, said Gray Eagle. We need to advise command, said Montenegro. Maybe get us some help in here. I'll try, said Gregor, reaching for his radio. He checked to make sure the unit was functioning before activating the mic. Ghost answer to Jackal, he said, releasing the mic. Static hissed back to him, and he got a barely readable reply. It was crackling, but he could understand the words. This is Jackal, said the voice. Send it over. We have a man down, said Gray Eagle, broken leg and possible concussion, requesting nearest extraction point for medevac, over. Copy, Ghost Dancer, said Jackal. What is your current position, over? We're ten clicks north by northeast of the assigned rendezvous point, said Gray Eagle. In the pass, over. That's no good for extraction, said Jackal. There's no way to get a bird in there to get you out. Can you move him, over? Affirmative, replied Gregle. We're preparing to move him now. Over. Solid copy, ghost answer, said Jackal. Nearest extraction point is the village of Why Not. Be advised you are to proceed with caution. Status of the village is unknown at this time. Say again, status of the village is unknown at this time. Over. Copy, Jackal, said Gregle. Consider us advised we're moving out in two mics. Over. Understood, ghost answer, said Jackal. How did your man get hurt, over? He was hit by a large rock in a boulder field, said Gregle, not wanting to explain further on the radio. Have you engaged hostiles, asked Jackal, over. Affirmative, said Gregle. We engage one tango and have one confirmed kill, over. Copy that, ghost answer, said Jackal. Looking forward to reading your report. We'll advise base to send an extraction chopper for your wounded. What's your estimated ETA, over? It's four clicks away, said Gray Eagle. Two hours, possibly more, over. Understood, said Jackal. Try to keep us updated. Radio contact might be impossible when you get closer to the village, over. Copy that, said Gray Eagle. Ghost answer out. Solid copy, ghost answer, said Jackal. Good luck, Jackal out. Damn, muttered Ruiz. If we get caught in these mountains after dark... Then we're in a lot of trouble, finished Gray Eagle. We need to get moving. Montenegro had assembled the emergency stretcher, and Fujikawa helped him move McKinney onto it. They tied him to the stretcher and did their best to immobilize his leg. Replacing the poncho, he elevated McKinney's head again. Then he rechecked the airway. Keep him doped up, said Gray Eagle. If he wakes up, that leg's going to be excruciating with every step we take. I did, Top, said Montenegro. He's feeling no pain. He's got a boatload of Special K on board. I should have enough to keep him out until we reach the village. Good, said Gray Eagle. Let's get moving. Daylight is dwindling fast, and we don't want to be in this pass when it's gone. They spent the next two hours moving as quickly as they safely could. Gregel was watching the shadows grow steadily longer. Even though it was only 1,600 hours, the sun was dipping behind the mountains and plunging the pass into darkness. Above them, they could hear movement in the rocks. Although they couldn't see them, they knew it had to be the creatures getting bolder now that it was nearly dark. 
Gregel glanced to his left and caught a glimpse of a dark, hairy head ducked behind a large boulder. Top, said Ruiz, concern in his voice. I see it, said Gregel. Keep moving. We're almost to the village. If we took a wrong turn, said Fujikawa, we could be lost in these godforsaken mountains forever. We didn't take a wrong turn, assured Gray Eagle. We're going the right way. Oh, hell, moaned McKinney. What the hell happened to me? Stay calm, McKinney, said Gray Eagle. You're almost out of here. Knuckles, keep him quiet. Ruiz took the handles of the stretcher from Montenegro as he put another dose of ketamine into McKinney's IV. That should do it, said Montenegro. Ugh, moaned McKinney, trailing off and passing back out. He's feeling no pain, said Fujikawa. He's the lucky one, said Gray Eagle. If we don't reach the village before night falls, he won't be awake when those things come for us. As they began to round a bend in the trail, Gregel caught a glimpse of a man-made structure. They had reached the village. There was a crude wall around the entire settlement, made of odd bits of junk and tires and dirt and large rocks and anything else they could find to build with. The crude wall was close to ten feet tall. There was a rough gate that faced this part of the trail, there was no other way to enter the village from this side without climbing the sheer mountainsides that surrounded them. As they grew closer, they could see that one of the gates was off its hinges and hung loosely in the door frame. There was no noise coming from the small village. This is not a good sign, said Bronson. I thought this place was inhabited. It looks like it's deserted to me, too, said Fujikawa. Gregel brought his rifle up and scanned the wall and the gate. There was no sign of movement, and it looked like it had been quite a while since anyone had been there. What do you think happened to the village? asked Montenegro. I don't know, replied Grey Eagle, but I wouldn't rule out the creatures that are following us. So what now? asked Fujikawa. We get inside and find shelter, said Grey Eagle. I'm going to try to make radio contact and advise Jackal that we're on station and ready for extraction. You heard the man, said Ruiz. Let's get inside and get some cover. It's almost dark. They moved cautiously toward the gate and still saw no signs of movement. Gregel slipped through the gate and looked the small village over. It consisted of about 20 huts and one larger building made of brick and mud, and it looked like the central meeting hall which likely also served for calls to prayer. On the roof was a small minaret with a bell where the calls to prayer were made. Head for the big building, said Gregel. Looks like the most solid and defensible. On it, Top, said Ruiz. Where is everyone? asked Montenegro. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Gregel didn't answer. Instead, he pointed at the dried blood and abandoned AK-47s that were laying near the entrances of some of the huts. There were no signs of bodies. Uh, top, called Ruiz. I just saw a face in the little bell tower thing. It's called a minaret, said Gray Eagle. Whatever, said Ruiz. I saw movement. Was it one of the creatures, asked Gray Eagle, bringing up his rifle. No, replied Ruiz. It was a human. Looked like a kid around 15 or so. Top, the big building is still secure, said Fujikawa. It's the only one that is. I think there might be survivors in there. All right, said Gray Eagle. It's time to make nice with the locals. We need to get inside that building and fast. Well, I don't speak Farsi or Pashtu, said Fujikawa. Any chance they speak English or Japanese? It's doubtful, said Gregel. I speak a little Pashtu. Hope I can make myself understood. Let's take a short little 60-second intermission here and talk about an affiliate sponsor that I've been with over the last year Yeti Bar Soap Company. If you haven't tried the soap company out, if you haven't tried Yeti Bars out, you need to go check them out because they do it. They make a really good product. My favorite bars and the bars I always buy are the Hippie Number One, the Dixie Cryptid Bar, and the Glacier Bar. Those are my favorite, but they have a huge selection of soaps, lotions, and deodorants and many other things that I think you might be interested in. Use the code DC10 at checkout. Get a 10% discount. I don't think you'll be sorry if you buy anything from them. Okay, let's get back into the story. Thank you. Moving closer to the door, Gregel could hear a voice from inside. Sounded like a younger male, likely the same one that Ruiz had seen on the minaret. Gregel was relieved to hear him speaking Pashtu. Go away, said the voice. We seek the hospitality of the village, said Gray Eagle, switching to Pashtu. What did you just say? asked Ruiz. Well, I either asked for sanctuary or I propositioned his mother, said Gray Eagle. We'll find out which in a moment. After a long pause, they heard a large wooden beam being removed from the door and slowly opened. They were greeted by an elderly man, likely one of the village leaders. Who asked for our hospitality, said the man in Pashtu. We do, said Gregel. We're with the United States Army. We need shelter and hospitality. I have a wounded man. Reaching slowly to his vest, he released the Grimlock clip that held his bayonet to his vest. Presenting it to the older man, he held it out as an offering. Offer a gift to show our respect and good intent, said Gregel, slowly in Pashtu. The old man met his gaze, surprised that an outsider would know the rules of hospitality, especially an American. Taking the gift, he nodded and gestured for them to come inside. Quickly, said the old man, the night is coming. Gregel motioned for the team inside and watched their backs until they were all safely in. And only then did he walk backward through the door. 
Beyond the wall, he could hear movement and grunting calls going back and forth between the creatures. Once he was inside, the door was immediately shut and a large wooden crossbar was dropped into place. The doors were thick and reinforced with metal bands that had been nailed to the door with crude square nails about the size of a dime. Turning around, Gregel saw that there were six people in the room. Two children, three women, and the old man. They had closed off the windows and nailed them all shut, preventing anything from getting in. The three women had AK-47s in their hands, but they were not pointing them at anyone. They gently placed the stretcher on the ground. McKinney didn't stir, but they could see sweat was beaded upon his forehead. Montenegro crouched beside him and began checking his vitals and airway. How is he? asked Gray Eagle. He's got a fever, said Montenegro. He's not responding to the antibiotics. We need to get him out of here. I'm on it, said Gray Eagle, reaching for his radio. Why don't you guys break out some MREs and see if our hosts are hungry? I don't see any food here. That's a great idea, Top, said Ruiz. While the team began distributing food and bottles of water, Gregel stepped away from them and checked his radio. It was still showing power and wasn't damaged. Ghost answered to Jackal, he said. Do you copy? Over. Static filled the speaker for a moment and then cleared up. Read you, Ghost Dancer, said Jackal, his voice sounding tiny and distant. Send it. Over. We've reached the extraction point, said Gregel. We're in the main building of the village, over. Can you hold that position, asked Jackal, over. Affirmative, he replied. What's the ETA on our medevac, over? It's not coming, Ghost Dancer, said Jackal, at least not until the dust storm clears. It blew in out of nowhere about an hour ago. All birds in our area of operation are grounded. You're on your own until the morning. What's your status, over? Gray Eagle grimaced. He knew that McKinney needed a doctor and the delay might kill him before morning. We can hold, said Gray Eagle. My wounded man's condition is deteriorating. We need a medevac, over. Understood, Ghost Dancer, said Jackal. There is no chance of us getting one to you until morning. The weather geeks at the FOB are saying this storm won't clear before 0600 hours, over. We'll do our best, said Gray Eagle. Any other good news? Over. The last bit had been pure sarcasm and he regretted saying it as soon as it left his mouth. Jackal was Captain Devin Mackey and he didn't have much of a sense of humor. That's a negative ghost dancer, said Jackal. The pattern is full. Over. Gray Eagle stifled a laugh at the unexpected joke from Captain Mackey. Copy that, said Gray Eagle. We'll hold until you can buzz the tower. Over. Copy that, said Jackal. Hold tight. We'll get there as fast as we can. I'm sorry, Will. It's a shit show with the storm. I don't like leaving you out there with the wounded. We'll manage, sir, said Gray Eagle. We'll hold. Ghost answer out. Turning back to the others, Gray Eagle frowned. We're on our own until the morning, said Gray Eagle. There's a dust storm near the FOB and they can't get the choppers to us. Can you keep McKinney stable for that long? I think so, Top, said Montenegro. I'm going to use every bit of medical supplies I have doing it, so none of you better get hurt. Montenegro turned and started cleaning and replacing the dressing on McKinney's leg and head. 
Gregor watched him for a moment before turning and heading for the old man. He began speaking to him slowly, unsure if he would have the fluency in Pashtu to say everything he needed to say. My name is William Gray Eagle, he began. We're U.S. Army. Thank you for extending your hospitality to us. The man nodded gravely and motioned for Gregle to take a seat beside him on the floor. Gregle did as he was beckoned, and he joined him. I am Aben Alhamad Allah, he said. I am the last of the surviving elders of the mullah for this village. What happened here? asked Gregle. A week ago, there was the terrible shaking of the mountains, said Aban. A rock slide blocked part of the pass. Well, I saw the rock slide, said Gregle. That's where my man was injured. When the rock slide happened, explained Aban, it opened several large caves high up on the mountain. And from those caves emerged the Barmano. What's a Barmano? asked Gregle. Creatures that I have not seen in this area since I was a young man, said Aban. He then began describing the same creatures that they had seen in the past. They were similar to the creatures that Gregle knew as Chayatanka, or Bigfoot, but they differed in size and temperament. They were also alleged to have mystical powers. When the old man finished speaking, Gregle nodded. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, Mullah, said Gregle respectfully. How do we stop the Barmano? Your guns will be of no use to you, said Aben, just as they were of no use to the men of our village. By the time I realized what we were facing, the damage had been done. I took what people I could save and sealed ourselves inside this building. Well, you did the right thing, said Gregle, but why haven't you tried walking out of here when the sun is up? You're not safe even with the sun up, said Aben. It is less safe at night, but they're always dangerous. Besides, there's nowhere we can walk that would not take us a week to reach on foot. The Barmano killed all our livestock. I'm an old man. I could not make the walk. Well, why did the Barmano attack you? asked Grey Eagle. Because they eat man flesh, explained Aben. But their wrath was brought down on this village by the greed of two of our young men. The rock slide unearthed large quantities of brown diamonds. Anyone who takes them from the mountains will reap the vengeance of the Barmano. Gregel closed his eyes for a moment, remembering that it was McKinney who had found the diamonds and insisted that they take them. It had also been McKinney who was struck first. He didn't tell Eben about the gems his men were carrying. It would likely get them thrown out of the building. If our guns won't work against them, said Gregel, then how do we fight them? Only a blade blessed by a mullah of pure faith will hurt them, said Aben, and it must be wielded by a warrior of virtue. I don't know how virtuous I am, but I have a blade, said Grey Eagle, and he drew his Bowie-style Brock Blades Ardennes. The old man took Grey Eagle by the hand and held it between both of his, and then looked him in the eyes. He held the gaze for a long moment, Grey Eagle felt Aben was gazing into his soul. After a long moment, he broke the gaze. My faith is pure, said Aben, and I can sense you are a warrior of strong faith and virtue. I will consecrate your blade, but know this, before you face the Barmano, you must return all of the diamonds your men are carrying. 
How did you know? asked Grey Eagle. I can sense the power of the gem, said Avon. The Barmano are drawn to them like a moth to a flame. Only after their stain is removed from this holy place can I consecrate your blade. I'll take them up to the minaret and toss them out, said Grey Eagle. Good, said Avon. I will perform the cleansing of the blade and begin the purification prayers. He took the blade from Grey Eagle and examined it closely. This is a well-crafted blade, said Avon. It will serve you well. You gather the gems while I prepare myself for the blessing. Grey Eagle removed his backup blade, called the Street Weasel, and crafted by Brock Blades and set it on the floor. Then he removed his Winkler knife, Sayok Tomahawk, and placed it beside the knives. Nodding to Avon, he returned to his men and motioned for them to gather around. I need all of the gems you gathered, he said. Why is that, Top? asked Ruiz. The mullah tells me that they're sacred to these creatures, said Grey Eagle. The reason they're following us is that they want them back. No offense, Top, said Garrison, but how the heck would they even know? Besides that, said McMasters, we're safe in here. We'll extract in the morning. Why bother? We can hold this place. Did you not notice the buildings in this village? asked Grey Eagle. The villagers took some of the gems and the creatures came to get them back. That's when they wiped out most of the village. Top's right, said Ruiz. I felt like taking them was wrong in the first place. Look, man, said McMasters, those gems could set us all up for life. You really want to give that up for some bedtime story the locals tell to scare their kids? As soon as McMasters finished speaking, something slammed into the door with tremendous force. The wood creaked and dust fell from the roof. Everyone turned to face the door. Then there was another powerful hit on the door, and this time it rattled. They heard the crossbar crack. They're going to come through that door, whispered Ruiz. It's not going to hold forever. We've got nowhere to run, said Grey Eagle. We either keep them out of here or we all die. Do you really believe that they're after those gems? Asked McMasters, looking at Grey Eagle. Do you have a better explanation? Replied Grey Eagle. If they don't want the gems, you can pick them up when we go outside in the morning. And if they want them, maybe they'll leave. Well, what do we have to lose? Asked Ruiz. If it works, we might just make it out of this place alive. If they ignore the gems, then our situation isn't changed. It's worth a shot. The mullah says that our guns won't stop them, said Grey Eagle. I don't know if that's true or not, but I saw a lot of AKs out there with blood around them. I didn't see any bodies, human or otherwise. I think that's good enough reason to believe them. What about the one I hit in the head? Asked Ruiz. Maybe it dropped, said Grey Eagle. Maybe it healed. I don't know. We couldn't confirm the kill. We have no idea if it died or not. Another beast slammed into the wall near the small window. Dust fell and the children started crying. The woman tried to comfort the children, but another impact struck the back door, shaking the floor beneath their feet. The door held, but they could see small cracks forming in the mortar around the door frame. Decide now, said Gregel. Is it worth trying? They'll be inside in a few more hits. Even if it just slows them down, it's worth trying. After exchanging glances, they all began gathering up the gems they'd stuffed into their packs and they placed them in a pile on the floor. 
Ruiz gathered the ones that McKinney had in his pack and added them to the pile. Is that all of them? asked Gray Eagle. McMasters grimaced and took another one out of his pocket. That's all, I swear, he said in a guilty tone. So much for early retirement, said Fujikawa, tossing another piece onto the pile. Gray Eagle glanced around and found no other holdouts. Then he placed all the gems in a cloth bag. All right, he said. I'll take them up to the minaret and toss them out. Get your gear and cover the doors just in case. If those things get inside, we have to protect the civilians. Avon set out his prayer rug, careful that he was facing Mecca. While he was making his preparations, Gregel found a small staircase that led to the minaret. There was a thick board sealing off the access which had been bolted in place with two long wooden cross pieces. Gregel listened to make certain that there was nothing on the other side, and when he was sure it was clear, he removed the cross pieces as quietly as he could. Lifting the board, he climbed out to the minaret, careful to avoid hitting the bell. There was a radiant orange glow over the mountains to the west. Beyond those peaks, it would still be daylight for another few hours. But here in the pass, it was deep twilight with deep shadows cloaking nearly everything. In the shadows, he could see subtle movements as the creatures carefully moved around the building, looking for weak points. Gregel took the bag and tossed it out toward the front of the building. In the darkness, he could hear several creatures moving toward him. Ducking back inside, he locked the door back in place just as large rocks began raining down on the spot where he had just been. That was close, he thought, as he locked the crossbar back into place. Gregel walked back down the stairs and stopped when he saw a large piece of metal near the back of the room. It was a chunk of aircraft fuselage that had been salvaged from a crash. As he inspected it closer, it had Soviet markings on the back. It had to be a piece of an old MiG jet that had been shot down during the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. Can I use this? asked Gregel, nodding at the others. Of course, said Aben. If it will help us survive, feel free to use anything we have. Gregel checked the small toolbox on the shelf and found exactly what he was looking for. Grabbing a set of metal shears, he began cutting shapes out of the piece of aircraft aluminum. It only took him a few minutes to cut out a dozen small pieces of sharp metal that came to a point. And taking them over to Aben, he placed them with the other weapons. Can you bless these as well? asked Gray Eagle. Of course, said Aben. What are they for? They're arrowheads, said Gray Eagle. I need to find a few other things so I can make arrows. Ruiz helped Gray Eagle search after he quickly explained what he wanted. They made arrow shafts from numerous wooden dowels that they were using to make cages for their chickens. Gray Eagle showed Ruiz how long they needed to be and then went back to work finding something suitable to use as fletching. He smiled when he saw the empty MRE containers, and taking them and spreading them out on the floor, he slit the bags open and then used the shears to cut the shapes he needed. By the time he finished, Aben had finished blessing the weapons. Gregel took the blades and returned them to their sheaths. Then he took the arrowheads and laid them on the floor beside the fletching material. 
Using the edge of his Arden's knife, he began carefully splitting the ends of the dowels. Once they were ready, he slipped an arrowhead in one end and the fletching material in the other. He found a piece of crude leather that had been used for padding on a chair and he pulled it free. Cutting small strips from the leather, he placed them into an MRE bag and poured water on them. After the leather had soaked up the water, he began tying them around the cut ends of the dowel, securing the fletching and arrows. When the leather dried, it would shrink and make it almost impossible to remove the material. Once the arrows were drying, he began looking for something to build a bow out of. He found several pieces of slender ash used to build the shelf, and he took it apart and he picked a piece that was about the right length and then tested it for its elasticity. It still had plenty of flexibility, so he began using the tomahawk to cut to the right length and remove the bark. After a while, he had the wood cut to the desired length and shape, and while it wasn't ideal, it was good enough to do the job. Using a piece of paracord from his pack, he cut the new string to the proper length, and then fashioned the ends into loops. Hooking one loop over the bottom of the bow, he stepped around the bow and used his leg as a fulcrum to bend it. He held his breath in anticipation, but the wood didn't break. With a smile, he flexed the wood even farther and hooked the loop of the bowstring over the end of the bow. Releasing the tension, the bowstring went taut and held in place. Pulling the string back, he heard the wood creak, but it didn't break or crack and the pull on the bow was easily 80 pounds. Ruiz handed him a quiver for the arrows, crudely made from the sleeve that his sniper rifle was carried in and more paracord. It was hooked together with several Grimlock connectors and more paracord. Here, Top, said Ruiz, this is for your arrows. What are you planning to do? The only thing that makes sense, said Gregel, I'm going to go hunting before they decide they're coming in here with us. It's only 1930 hours. We have a long way to go before morning. Well, where are you going? asked Ruiz. I'll cover you. I need to find a couple more things, said Gregel, grinning. He stripped off his combat gear, taking everything off down to the waist. Then he gathered ash and soot from the fire pit. Once that was done, he used brick dust and clay from the walls to begin mixing two types of paint, one black and one light gray. When they were mixed, he began applying them to his face and chest. He applied the lighter material as a base and then began making dark shapes with the black paint. And soon he stood before them covered in the war paint of his Lakota heritage. He used the images his grandfather, Jay Matoska, had taught him as a guide. While the paint would help break up his form in the darkness outside, it also served another purpose. If he was going to war against these creatures, he was going as a dog soldier of his people. He was calling on the spirits of the Hotamataneo. Softly, he began singing in Lakota. He was asking his ancestors for their strength and guidance. He was asking them to guide his course and give him the power of the dog soldier so that he might defeat this creature called the Barmano. 
Somewhere in the darkness, the spirits heard his call, and he felt something stirring inside him. He felt the spirit of the wolf calling to him, and he felt the power in his veins. The dog soldiers had heard his call. As he gathered his weapons, he continued to let the chant flow through and over him, and he knew the only chance he had against the creatures was to use the old magic that his grandfather had assured him was part of everything. The strength he felt allowed him to sense things beyond his normal abilities, and he knew that the creatures were coming. Get away from the windows, he said forcefully. Everyone started to move when the boards over one window exploded inward. Before they could react, Sergeant Johnson was grabbed by the head and dragged back through the window. They heard his screams cut violently short with the cracking of bone. You sons of bitches, roared McMasters. His saw opened fire and began chattering its death song as he poured rounds through the open window. A few of the creatures shrieked in pain, but none of them fell. Get the women and children away from the windows, roared Gray Eagle. Another window exploded inward, and a creature grabbed one of the women by the arm. Bronson drove his bayonet into the beast's bicep and it roared, releasing the woman. Bronson shoved her away from the window as another creature reached through and dragged him through the gap. His screams were quickly silenced. Is there a back room? Gregel yelled to Aben. There is a small cellar, he replied. Get them in there and lock it, said Gregel. Everyone get into the cellar and hold it. I'll do what I can from out here. Aben opened the door that led to the cellar where they stored food and other items that needed to be kept cool. Everyone began rushing inside. Ruiz and Montenegro began moving McKinney toward the small opening that led into the cellar. The front door exploded inward and before the creatures could come pouring inside, McMasters and Garrison opened fire with both saws raining fire and death through the open door. They maintained their volume of fire as the others carried McKinney into the cellar. Fujikawa turned to yell at them to fall back and was grabbed through an open window. He tried to fight back, but the creature tore his head off instead of dragging him through the window. Fuji's down, screamed Garrison. Get in the cellar, screamed Gray Eagle. McMaster's saw fell silent as the belt ran out. Before he could fall back, one of the creatures rushed through the gunfire from Garrison and grabbed McMasters by the arm. It bit down on his forearm and easily bit through the bone, severing the arm just below the elbow. Take this, screamed Garrison, firing point blank into the creature. It released its hold on McMasters and turned toward Garrison. Before it could attack him, an arrow streaked across the room and buried deeply into the beast's left ear. It fell to the ground instantly, and its eyes rolled back into its skull. Get McMasters to the cellar, roared Gray Eagle. Garrison's saw went silent as the last of his ammo was expended, and he dropped the empty weapon and grabbed McMasters, shoving him into the opening to the cellar. Get the hell inside, roared Garrison. McMasters was in shock, but managed to get to the cellar, falling most of the way. Garrison turned to nod at Gray Eagle and was dragged backward out of the door before he could react. 
Gray Eagle rushed to go after him, yanking the arrow from the head of the beast as he ran past. Rushing through the door, he yelled a Lakota battle cry and threw his Sayak tomahawk. It struck one of the beasts in the forehead and buried into the crosspiece. The beast released its hold on Garrison, and Gray Eagle yanked him away, shoving him back into the building. He didn't have time to see if he made it. He had to move quickly before the creature swarmed him. Snatching up the tomahawk, he ran across a narrow alleyway and dove into a dark hut that had partially collapsed. He prayed that the others had made it into the cellar and were sealing it. It was now his job to get the attention of the creatures away from the building and to focus on him. He knocked an arrow and readied the bow and he waited. And when one of the creatures headed for the building, Gregor let the arrow fly and it streaked across the distance, punching through the monster's spine and into his heart. The creature staggered a few steps before collapsing to the ground. The other creature began looking for the source of the attack. Gregor took that as a cue to move and headed out the back of the hut using the back entrance. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Using the shadows, he ran to the edge of the village and hid behind a large boulder. He studied the darkness, searching for signs of movement. It suddenly occurred to him that he had no idea how many of the creatures were out there in the darkness. He could only hope that he could pick off enough of them to make them reconsider the attack on the village. Otherwise, he'd be fighting a guerrilla fight against the creatures until morning arrived and their relief came for them. Making a quick mental inventory, he knew that he would have to recover as many arrows as he could if this was going to work. A dozen arrows, two knives, and a tomahawk were not going to win this battle. He had to fight smarter and faster than ever before. Otherwise, these creatures would tear him apart just like they had done to Johnson, Fujikawa, and Bronson. The thought of his men being torn apart made him angry, and he felt the spirit of the wolf howling inside him. It was time to take vengeance upon these creatures and make them rue the day they crossed a Lakota dog soldier. In the darkness near the side of the small hut he'd just vacated, a shadow was moving quietly along the outer wall. It was too big to be a human, so it had to be one of the Barmano. As his vision adjusted to the darkness, he could see the beast. It was sniffing the air along the side of the hut, searching for his scent. Carefully, he drew the bow and readied an arrow, and as the beast came within fifty feet, he let the arrow fly. It buried deep into the monster's throat. It fell gurgling to the ground. It feebly attempted to move, but the sharp piece of aluminum had severed its spinal cord. It could only lay there and wheeze as it slowly died. No sooner had the beast fallen than Gregor was on the move again. He was down two arrows and knew he'd have to collect them soon, but now he had to get away from the area. 
The twang of his bowstring would undoubtedly draw the beast to him. So he ducked low and he crouched and hid beneath the toppled wall of another hut. He blended into the deep shadows looking just like another chunk of debris. One of the beasts crept along the back of the hut, sniffing the air and looking around. It could smell him, but it couldn't find him. Gregel slipped the bow over his shoulder and drew the Arden's blade. Waiting for the right moment, he held his breath as the creature moved closer. When it was less than ten feet away, he let out an undulating war cry and he dove forward. But before the creature could react... He rolled between its legs, then slashed out with the blade. The creature saw the blur move beneath it and tried to catch it, and then it felt something tug at its leg. Reaching down, he felt the spot and brought back its hand, wet with blood. It stared in confusion for a moment, uncomprehending the fact that it was already dead and didn't know it. Grey Eagle had severed the femoral artery in the leg and rolled away into the darkness. Grey Eagle didn't look back as he ran and he dove through the broken window of another hut hiding in the darkness. Behind him, the beast fell to its knees, still confused about what had happened as it fell onto its face and died. Holding his position in the dark hut, Grey Eagle readied the bow and knocked an arrow. He waited patiently until another creature arrived to check on its fallen comrade. When it leaned over the fallen beast, Gregel let the arrow fly and it streaked across the distance. The creature was alerted by the sound and turned to look just as the arrow buried itself through the bridge of its nose and sank to the back of its skull. Nine arrows left, thought Grey Eagle, as he slipped out the back of the hut and moved as silent as a mouse to his next hiding point. Sliding past a large boulder, he stopped short when the hairs on the back of his neck stood up. He felt the flash of warning pass through him, and he knew there was danger. Movement caught his eye, and he slid to the side just as a snake struck at him. He was able to avoid the strike and then pin the snake's head down with the end of his bow. Grabbing the snake behind the head, he picked it up. Even in the darkness, he identified the snake from the briefings they'd received on which wildlife to avoid. It was a common crate snake. It was aggressive and venomous and responsible for numerous deaths in Afghanistan every year. Smiling, he tightened his grip on the snake and slid behind the boulder. He slapped his hand on the boulder to make some noise and he crouched low and waited. After a moment, he heard the stealthy approach of one of the creatures coming to investigate the slap. And when it leaned over the boulder, Gregle jammed the snake into the beast's left eye and released his grip. The snake sank its fangs into the beast. Shrieking in pain, the beast stumbled back. It was trying to get a grip on the squirming serpent that was now latched firmly to the soft tissue of his eye. The venom was already injecting almost directly into its brain, and the snake continued to pump more into it as it was being struck by the beast. Gregel raced off into the darkness, moving past the last creature he had killed. He snatched up the arrow and slid back behind a collapsed wall of the hut. There was just enough light for him to see the creature beginning to sway as the powerful venom flooded into its bloodstream. 
and seconds later, it toppled over and fell flat on its back, dying in the dust as the snake finally released the bite and slithered off into the night. Hiding in the darkness, he held his breath as two more of the creatures walked right past him. One of the beasts had a crude bag over its shoulder. It was similar to the bags made by Grey Eagle's people for carrying tools or food. For a moment, he wondered what was inside the pouch, and then an old custom of his people came to mind. Sneaking out from his hiding spot, he slipped up behind the creatures and carefully slit the strap. Slowly, he slipped it away from the creature and backed away, and then crept into the open doorway of a hut. He had just successfully counted coup on the beast. He considered looking in the bag, but thought better of it. It didn't matter what it was in it. It only mattered that he'd taken it without being caught. He felt like screaming out his victory, but thought better of it. Any cry would draw them right back to him. So instead, he picked up a small rock and threw it off into the darkness. And when it struck a boulder, the two creatures split up and headed for the sound. Gregel knocked an arrow and prepared to release it, but movement from the corner of his eye alerted him to an attack, and he jumped away from the powerful swing of the beast that had crept into the hut with him. Dropping the bow, he pulled the Arden's blade and readied for a fight. The beast snarled and reached for him. Gregel dove to the side and then grabbed the beast's arm and vaulted over it. As he did, he slit the brachial artery in the beast's upper arm and then rolled onto its back. As the creature reached for him, he sliced the razor-sharp blade across the jugular vein in its neck and then leapt away. Staggering now, the beast turned toward him, confusion on its ape-like face. And then it fell to its knees and pitched forward into the dirt and twitched as the last of its blood poured out onto the ground. Snatching up his bow, he brought the arrow back up and aimed. And he let the shaft go and it streaked through the darkness, striking the beast at the base of the skull and sliced through the vertebra and spinal cord. The beast fell like a marionette without strings. Slinging the bow over his shoulder, he raced off into the darkness and slid behind an overturned ox cart. And he waited for a moment and forced himself to slow his breathing. After a few seconds, his heart rate came back down, and he listened to the night sounds. Around him, he could hear several creatures moving through the small village, searching for him. He'd already lost count of the number of creatures he'd killed, but he didn't put much thought into that. He could count bodies later. There were plenty of enemies left, and counting meant nothing if you didn't win in the end, and Gregel planned on winning. Keep it together, he thought. This is a marathon, not a sprint. He continued to remain motionless, breathing slowly and letting his body rest. And he knew he couldn't remain here for too long or they would track him. He wasn't certain, but he felt confident that they were able to track by scent. It was also apparent that their night vision was considerably better than his. He prepared to move, and he listened for any sound of movement around him. It was eerily silent, and the only sound he could hear was the whispering of the wind through the dead village. The thought occurred to him that they were doing the same thing that he was doing, listening for movement. 
Picking up a rock about the size of his fist, he leaned slowly out from behind the cart and he threw it. He didn't wait for it to hit. He slipped back and out the other side of the ox cart and crouched low as he ran for the broken shell of a hut 30 yards away. When the rock hit, it clattered among the boulders and dislodged several smaller stones. The area immediately swarmed with creatures emerging from the shadows and screaming their vicious war cries. Their cries turned to roars of fury when they found they'd been tricked. Grey Eagle rolled into the ruined hut and low crawled beneath the partially collapsed roof. Shimmying onto a rafter, he slid up near the top of one of the walls that remained standing. He was able to lift the crude roofing material and peer out into the night. As he watched, the creature emerge from the shadows. It was using the edge of the building to sneak from one spot to another. It had its back against the outside of the wall and was oblivious to Gregel's presence. He waited until the beast stood mere inches away with the back of his head close enough that he could touch it. Drawing his Arden's blade, he brought it up and placed the tip a few millimeters from the back of the creature's neck. It was right at that point where the spine met the skull. Once the blade was in place, Gregel said a quick prayer that the beast would remain motionless for just a moment longer. His prayer was rewarded as he summoned all of his strength. With a mighty shove, he drove the blade through the spinal cord and into the brain stem. With a twist, he yanked the blade free as the beast fell to the ground immobile. The only thing the beast could move was its eyes, which moved around in fear, uncomprehending of what had just happened. Even that moment was short-lived as the light faded quickly from its eyes. Sliding back down the rafter, Greg lowered himself to the dirt floor with almost no sound. As he started to move back to the small opening in the wall, his instinct screamed a warning. Unfortunately, it was far too late to avoid the massive hairy arm that swung out from the shadows. The blow drove him back through the partially collapsed wall and exploded out into the alleyway beyond it. The force of the strike had smashed his bow to kindling and scattered his arrows. He felt like he may have broken his ribs as he lay on his back in the dirt, gasping for air. Before he could get up, the beast roared as it smashed through the opening in the wall and dove on top of him. Wrapping its hands around his neck, Gregel knew it intended to rip his head off. The Arden's blade slashed back and forth across the beast's abdomen, spilling its guts all over Grey Eagle. The grip on his neck loosened immediately, and Grey Eagle was able to shove the beast to the side as it collapsed in a heap. Rolling onto his side, he forced himself up onto his knees. His breath was still hard to draw, and his chest felt like it was on fire, but he was alive. He had to get clear of this area before the others arrived. Staggering, he lurched down the alleyway and ducked into a small building that was mostly intact, and it looked like it had been used for storage. The blood of the beast was quickly cooling on his skin, and he could smell the foul stench of the beast enveloping him like a cloud. At least they won't be able to find my scent now, he thought, leaning against the wall and feeling along his ribs with his fingers. He felt three of them move beneath his fingertips. 
Damn, he muttered, wincing in pain. Down the alley, he could hear the creatures screeching when they found their dead brother. Grey Eagle hoped that they wouldn't be able to track him by the blood of the dead beast. He'd shaken off the worst of it, but wasn't sure if he'd left drops in the dirt. It was dark enough that they might not see them, but they would certainly smell them. He closed his eyes and took shallow breaths as he strained to hear any signs of movement outside the shack. He could hear one of the beast's heavy footsteps growling closer as it came down the alleyway, and it stopped outside the shed and began sniffing at the doorway. Gregle moved silently to the side of the door. The shack was much too small for the beast to walk inside. The roof was low enough that Gregle had to watch his head so he didn't strike the wooden beams. If the beast came in, it was either going to have to smash its way inside or dunk through the door. The door was yanked outward and torn from the crude rope hinges. Gregel heard it strike a building some distance away. He waited for the beast to rip the roof off and peer inside, but smiled when he saw the beast leaning in through the doorway to look around. It was peering at the back of the shed and hadn't seen him. When the beast's neck was extended, Gregel drove the Arden's blade deep into the exposed throat and severed both jugular vein and the corded artery. The spray of blood fountained out and sprayed the back wall of the shack, and the creature's knees buckled as it collapsed to the floor. Gregel stepped over the body and moved as quickly as he could around the back of the shack and ducked behind a large boulder. His ribs were sending waves of pain through his body, nearly making him nauseous. Each intake of breath sent white-hot agony through him in powerful waves. Glancing around the edge of the boulder, he didn't see any sign of the creatures. Moving as quickly as he could, he slid through the back door of the hut that was mostly undamaged. He leaned against the wall and glanced around. He saw a long scarf hanging from a nail on the wall, and he grabbed it and began wrapping it tightly around his ribcage. He tied it as tightly as he could, and then wrapped one end around a wooden beam and leaned back. It pulled the fabric even tighter, and it hurt like hell, but once it was tied off, he felt better. The ribs were no longer moving around freely. There was still pain, but it wasn't that bad. Stealing himself, he pulled on the knot once more, making sure it was secure, and once he was content that it wasn't going to release, he took a few steady breaths. Before he headed back out into the night, he whispered the great spirit prayer in Lakota. He finished in English, just barely audible. So when life fades, he whispered, as the fading sunset, my spirit may come to you without shame. Taking a deep breath, he went slightly as the pain spread through his rib cage. It wasn't as bad as he had expected, and he smiled grimly, knowing he could bear the pain without difficulty. Okahe, he whispered. Slipping back out into the darkness, he began creeping along the back row of huts at the edge of the village. He passed a gap between two small huts when he felt more than heard a rush of motion coming rapidly behind him. One of the creatures was rushing him from the deep shadows. 
Sprinting away, Gregel jumped onto a boulder and then ran up the sheer rock face off the cliff. Three steps up, he twisted backward and leaped over the rapidly moving creature, and it reached for him, but it was too late. It hadn't expected such a bold move from the tiny human. Drawing his Sayak tomahawk while in the air, he flipped it over and slammed the spiked end into the beast's temple. The tomahawk remained embedded in the monster's skull as Gregel landed behind it. The creature shook in shock as electricity ran through his body. The blade was sticking into the side of its brain and the beast began to tremble uncontrollably. However, it wasn't enough to immediately kill it. As the beast shook, Gregel drew his Arden's blade and quickly severed the femoral arteries in both legs. Blood poured out in great gouts and sprayed across the rocky ground. The trembling increased and the beast dropped to its knees. Gregel slapped the handle of the tomahawk with his free hand, striking it with enough force to knock the spike free from the creature's skull. And as the beast fell forward onto its face, Gregel raced off into the darkness. Breathing still caused him considerable pain, but he pushed through it. More creatures were stalking him in the ruins of this tiny village. It was his job to keep their attention on him so they didn't go after his men and the other survivors. He had to continue to fight a guerrilla war against these strange creatures. He couldn't quit until they all fled or their reinforcements arrived. Rounding a corner, he saw two other creatures just ahead. They had their backs to him and hadn't heard his approach. Glancing around, he saw that there was a narrow gap between two huts that was too small for the creatures to follow, and he slipped into the gap and slid away from the opening and hid in the shadows. Holding his breath, he listened for any sign that they had heard him. At the far end of the narrow gap, he could see another creature moving slowly along the front of the huts. He held still and forced himself to breathe quietly, to not alert the beast. It began sniffing around, but it looked away from him. It had its back to the opening. Slowly, he began creeping closer to the beast. It seemed to be looking around, but Gregel thought it wasn't looking for him. His thoughts were confirmed when the beast squatted with its back against the wall. It widened its stance and began to drop the largest turd Gregel had ever seen on anything smaller than an elephant. The smell was horrible as he forced himself to breathe through his mouth. The beast was completely focused on relieving himself. It didn't hear his approach. And when he'd closed to within three feet, he prepared his attack. The beast was crouched low enough that its head was on the same level as Gray Eagle's. And its hands were braced on its knees as it continued to evacuate its bowels. Gregel couldn't help but wonder what the thing had been eating until he saw human teeth in the stool. Anger rose within Gregel as he considered the possibility that it might be the teeth of one of his men. Reaching over the beast's head, he stuck his fingers in the creature's eye sockets and yanked the head violently back. Before the beast could react, he slashed across its throat with the long-bladed Arden's knife. 
The razor-sharp edge cut to the spine, sending a fountain of fetid blood arcing into the air. Releasing the beast's head, Gregor slipped back into the deeper shadows. The beast's bladder emptied, and he knew that it was dead. It remained upright, leaning against the wall of the hut, with its head lulled forward onto its chest, and it could easily be mistaken for sleeping until they got close enough to see the blood. Grey Eagle slipped back down the narrow passageway and peered out the back. There was no sign of the two creatures that had been there before. He knew they wouldn't be far away, but he couldn't stay where he was. It was only a matter of time before the body was discovered and the alarm raised. Cautiously, he exited the gap and headed away from the spot where he'd seen the creatures. Ducking into the hut with the partially collapsed roof, he crawled beneath the rubble and slid on his stomach to the narrow opening at the front of the hut. Watching in silence, he smiled grimly. He saw that there were far fewer creatures prowling the streets than there had been when he began. They were also moving with much greater caution. He was now well concealed, and he decided to risk resting here for a few minutes. His ribs were killing him, and he needed to gather his strength if he was going to keep up the fight. Closing his eyes, he slowed his breathing and relaxed his sore muscles, and the pain began to slowly subside. Never estimate the power of one man with a knife, he thought, smiling darkly as the feeling of calm washed over him. Now you're thinking like a Lakota, another voice whispered in his mind. It was the voice of his grandfather, and it echoed through his memory, and it was the words his grandfather had spoken when he'd successfully tracked and killed his first deer. He was nine. He'd hunted it and taken it down with a traditional bow and used a bone-handled knife that had belonged to his father. It was meant to honor him. Grey Eagle had very few memories of his father since he'd lost both his parents when he was very young. But the knife was a good one, and his father had given it to him not long before he'd been killed. He still remembered the feeling when he'd taken the deer, and it had been a good day. Now, many years and many thousands of miles away, he thought of that first kill and he smiled. It was the skills taught to him by his grandfather that had saved his life tonight. It was those same skills that he hoped would keep him alive until the evac chopper arrived in the morning. What are you doing so far from home, Lakota? Asked a strange voice, speaking Lakota. Gregor looked around in surprise. At first, he didn't see anything. He was beginning to think he'd imagined it when it spoke again. I ask you a question, boy, it said, sounding irritated. Panic started to fill him as it occurred to him that if he could hear it, the creatures could too. Oh, don't worry about them, chided the voice. They can't hear me. I'm not here for them. Hopping out of the darkness, he saw an oddly familiar form. It was a tall raven, as black as the darkness it had emerged from. It danced back and forth before pecking at something on the ground. What's the matter? it asked. Cat got your tongue, boy? Who are you? whispered Grey Eagle, replying in Lakota. Who do you think I am? it asked. 
Are you Raven? asked Gregel softly. Lie many things, replied the Raven. One name is as good as another, I suppose. But what do you want? asked Gregel, glancing around nervously. Why, to give you a message, boy, said the Raven indignantly. I thought Raven was a spirit of chaos, said Gregel. That is true, said the Raven, but I am also a messenger. Like an omen? asked Gregel. Do I look like an owl to you? demanded Raven angrily. No, you don't, said Gregel. Well, good, said Raven. Now shut up and let me give you a message so I can get out of this place. Gregel nodded gravely and then went back to looking for the creatures. Oh, will you stop that for a second, demanded Raven, hopping back and forth on its feet and flapping its wings rapidly. Shh, whispered Gregel, they'll hear you. You can make as much noise as you like, squawked the raven. Those stupid things can't hear you. Will Grey Eagle was beginning to grow irritated. What's your message? asked Grey Eagle, focusing on the irate bird. That's better, said raven, preening a few feathers before continuing. Grey Eagle stared at the bird, who seemed to be in no hurry to pass on whatever message it supposedly had for him. His irritation passed when he realized how ridiculous this seemed, talking to a bird in the first place. See, said Raven, now even you doubt I'm here. Excellent. Grey Eagle took a steady breath and released it slowly. You feeling crazy yet? asked the Raven mockingly. Grey Eagle bit his lip and he said nothing. That's better, said the Raven. You're listening instead of speaking. You should do that more often, Grey Eagle. The bird paused for effect before continuing. That's the message, said Raven. Just listen. Listen to what? asked Grey Eagle. Did you miss what I just said? demanded Raven. Stop talking and listen. Grey Eagle did as instructed. Now if you will kindly shut up and listen, said the Raven, you might just hear it. Grey Eagle resisted the urge to ask what he would hear, but thought he'd better indulge the enigmatic bird. Closing his eyes, he strained to listen. At first, there was nothing, but then he heard it. It was just at the limit of his hearing. So faint it was, and was no louder than his heartbeat. Slowing his breathing, he let his thoughts go silent and let the sound come to him. And then it began to grow clearer. In the distance was the howl of a wolf. It wasn't a wolf native to these lands. It was the howl of a timber wolf, sunk Manitou Tonka in his language. Just beyond the howl, he heard another sound. It was a steady, rhythmic drumbeats of Lakota war drums. It was a sound he could not help but feel deep down in his core. It was the sound of the drum circle that his grandfather held during important festivals around the fire. Now you hear it, don't you, boy, said the raven. It calls to you. It's the voice of your people, the call of the Lakota warrior. But not just any warrior, son. It's the call of the Hatamantaneo, the dog soldiers, thought Grey Eagle. It's in your blood, boy, said the raven. You'll need to listen to it if you plan to survive tonight. 
Gregor looked at the odd bird staring back at him with its dark obsidian eyes. Your destiny lies in those drums, Grey Eagle, said the raven. Follow the path of the Hatamataneo whenever time seemed the darkest. You called on the power of your ancestors, boy. Now you must accept the responsibility that comes with it. The path of the Hatamataneo is not something you turn away from. Not that you had a choice. It's in your blood, boy. Ask your grandfather. Before he could reply, the wind picked up, and Raven vanished before his eyes, drifting away like dust on a cool breeze. The sound of the wolf and the drums faded as well, but he could still feel them inside of him. Glancing around, Gregel felt at ease. There was no sign of Raven and no indication that the creatures had heard anything. They were still skulking through the shadows searching for the killer that had been thinning their ranks. Gregel wondered how much time had passed during his conversation with Raven. He glanced at his watch and saw that it had been more than four hours since he'd crawled beneath the rubble. Somehow, he'd fallen asleep. That explained the raven. It was a strange dream, yet somehow he suspected it was more than that. Oddly, he felt the pain in his chest had subsided to a dull ache, and he felt refreshed and rested. He was shocked that the creatures hadn't found him while he'd been asleep. The thought suddenly occurred to him that they may have gone after his men while he was out. Crawling back out the way he'd entered, he stood up and looked around at what was left of the hut. Taking a moment to get his bearings, he prepared to move out into the night. He knew which way he needed to go to return to the central building where his men were waiting. and He gazed into the darkness and he focused on the shadows. He was searching for movement. Hunters of all species searched for movement. That was what always gave away the prey, and this time would be no different. Something seemed to separate itself from the shadows and move away from the wall. It hadn't seen Grey Eagle, and it was going to move right past his position. He resisted the urge to strike on pure instinct, and moments later, he was glad that he had waited. Another figure emerged from the deep shadows. It was moving slower than the other creature, smelling the air as it moved. The beast had learned to be cautious, and the bodies of so many of its comrades had taught it that this was no normal prey they were stalking. This one was dangerous. Grey Eagle held his breath and remained as motionless as a statue. The beast had far better night vision than he did, and he knew if it looked his way it would see him. Fortunately, it didn't turn its head. It continued after the first creature, oblivious to his presence. Creeping out into the narrow alleyway, he looked in both directions before moving stealthily around the back of the building. Staying low and near the base of the wall of the hut, he began picking his way toward the main building. Near the edge of the building, he found a wooden pole with one end that tapered to almost a point. Grabbing the pole, he slipped into the next hut and began quietly sharpening it with his Arden's knife. After several minutes, he had the tip of the pole sharpened enough to pierce the skin. He took a moment and found a discarded burka lying in the dirt, 
Using it with a few sticks, he set it up to look like a person facing the door. Then he concealed the sharpened pole behind it with the end anchored at the bast of the wall and the tip concealed near the middle of the burka. It wasn't a great likeness, but it might fool the creatures. Climbing up into the rafters of the hut, he waited until he heard one of the beasts skulking nearby. As the dark shadow of the beast covered the door, Gregel threw a small stone at the wall beside the door. The creature turned immediately and peered into the hut, and Gregel could see the beast's eyes narrow as it saw the decoy. Tensing for the charge, Gregel prepared to move, but the creature did something unexpected. It leaned its head back and started to draw in a deep breath. Gregel knew it was about to call the others to it. With a snap of his wrist, he threw the Arden's blade and buried it into the creature's throat. The cry was instantly choked off into a gurgling, raspy snort. As the beast clawed at the blade in its throat, Gregel dropped down from the rafters and grabbed the sharpened pole. Rushing forward with all his strength, he drove the tip into the beast just below its ribcage. It pierced deep into the beast at an upward angle and tore through the left lung. The beast went rigid and then began to fall. Bracing the end of the pole on the ground, Gregel let the weight of the beast impale it on the pole. The wood became slick with the beast's fetid blood as it sank further onto the pole. Its own weight forced the tip to emerge from its back, pulling the lung with it. The beast locked eyes with Gregel. It was dying, but it still reached for him, determined to finish him off with its dying breath. Gregel released the grip on the pole and ducked to the side, avoiding the monster's outstretched arms. Deftly slipped past the arm, he grabbed the handle of his knife and yanked it free. He considered finishing off the beast, but knew others were likely coming his way. Turning away, he raced down another alleyway and slipped into a hut that was just across from the main building. Crouching in the darkness, he leaned as far back into the corner as he could and he watched. From his vantage point, he could see the dying creature still impaled on the pole. Two more creatures arrived and saw the dying beast and stared at it with confusion on their strange faces. They glanced around before hurrying off into the night. They were moving quickly, but Gregel was pleased to see they were going in the wrong direction. Slipping out of the shadows, he checked to see if any of the beasts were close enough to see him, and when he found the coast was clear, he sprinted across the narrow gap and slipped back into the main building. It was just as he had left it, and he saw no sign that the creatures had discovered the hidden door that led to the cellar. For a moment, he considered knocking and joining his men, but he knew even that small amount of noise would likely bring several other monsters down upon them all. Then it would only be a matter of time before they found the cellar and killed everyone inside. Looking quickly around the room, he found his pack right where he'd left it. He opened it and he checked the gear that he'd left behind. He took out several grenades and he placed them into his cargo pockets. And he also grabbed a roll of fishing line he kept for making tripwires. It would be practically invisible in the darkness. 
The last thing he grabbed was a block of C4 plastic explosives that they kept for destroying the enemy vehicles or large weapons. Tucking a few detonators in his pocket, he began making plans of the best way to utilize the explosives. He moved back to the door and saw that three creatures were coming his way, and he moved over to a side window and slipped out through it and then headed away from the main building. He moved quickly until he was near a large boulder where he'd found the snake. Slipping behind it, he crouched low, watching for signs of pursuit. When he was confident he wasn't being followed, he slipped out from behind the boulder and placed two grenades on the ground. Straightening the pins, he tied the fishing line to the rings and then placed large stones around the grenades to keep them from moving. And then he played out the line until it was back behind the boulder. Crouching in the deep shadows of the boulder, he estimated the distance from the grenades to be 30 yards. The boulder would be plenty big enough to shield him from the blast. The thing was, he knew he'd have to be moving as soon as the dust cleared to get clear of the area. The sound was going to bring all the others down on the spot. He watched the alleyway for signs of movement. It wasn't long before two of the creatures rounded the corner and headed toward him. They were both carrying crude spears and kept them at the ready. They were doing more than just searching for him. They were actively hunting him. Waiting until just before they reached the grenades, Gregel timed their arrival. With a strong yank on the line, he felt the pins come free and he heard the metallic clink of the spoons popping off of the grenades. The creatures looked down in confusion at the pile of rocks below them. Gregel closed his eyes and shoved his fingers in his ears and then got as close to the base of the boulder as possible. The two grenades went off almost simultaneously and ripped the monsters apart. One lost a leg at the knee and the other was tossed into the air, landing in a bloody heap. Both creatures were mortally wounded and began shrieking in pain and rage. Gregel jumped from behind the boulder and raced off down the alley. Diving into a darkened hut, he put his back against the wall. Pulling another grenade from his pocket, he straightened the pin and held it tightly in his hand. And when he heard several of the creatures arrive, he pulled the pin and tossed it in the middle of them. Racing out the front of the hut, he ran across the main thoroughfare and dove into another hut. Behind him, he heard the grenade detonate and the screams of several more creatures. He doubted that he'd killed many of them, but it was enough to make them cautious and possibly take a few of them out of the fight. He straightened the pin on another grenade and placed it beside the door. And then he made a tripwire with a fishing line across the door. And then he looked around for something to use as a lure. Not finding anything that would attract the beasts, he decided to try something else. Moving into the darkness at the back of the hut, he opened his fly and urinated into one corner. Then he quickly replaced his fly and slipped out the back door. He moved low and fast, finding himself next to the overturned ox cart he'd hidden behind before. Slipping beneath the cart, he pulled his legs up against his chest and he waited. After a moment, he heard one of the beasts moving close to his position. He peered out and he saw one of the monsters was right beside him. 
It wasn't aware of his position, and he noticed the beast was also carrying a crude parfletchy, and he got an idea. He realized he could count coup and still eliminate a target at the same time. Taking out the plastic explosives, he rolled a chunk into a ball about the diameter of a baseball. Then he stuck a detonator in it and he set the timer for two minutes. He activated the countdown and then slowly reached for the pouch. He was able to open it and slip the explosives inside. Slowly, he retracted his hand and crouched back behind the cart. Then he began counting down in his head. He knew that the timer was running and the creature was still right beside him. When his mental counter told him it was closing in on 30 seconds, he began to worry. Across the courtyard, he heard and felt the grenade trap explode. Another beast began screaming and the creature beside him raced toward the bleeding beast. Grey Eagle slipped out from beneath the ox cart and ran around the back of the building. He ran directly into the chest of a beast. The creature looked as shocked as he felt, and the momentary hesitation was all he needed. Dropping to his knees, he dove between the monster's legs and slashed its hamstring as he went. The beast dropped to one knee and tried to turn and face him and the boom of the detonation from the plastic explosives shook the building, and the creature looked in that direction in surprise. Gregle darted in close and slashed the beast across the throat, sending a fountain of blood erupting from the wound. The beast's hands went to his wound in its neck, and Gregle raced away. He knew that the beast was doomed, so he didn't wait to see it fall. There were still more of these creatures, and he couldn't afford to get caught out in the open. As he ran down the alley, he saw one of the creatures emerge and immediately throw a spear at him. It flew fast and true, coming right at him. Gregel spun to his left and felt the sharpened tip of the spear cut a long line across his stomach, sending blood flying onto the ground. Gregel launched himself backward into a hut out of sight of the beast. Grabbing a grenade, he tossed it out into the alleyway directly at the spot where the beast had been. It detonated a few seconds later and he heard the screaming of the beast indicating he had gotten at least a piece of it. He inspected his wound. It was bleeding, but it hadn't been deep enough to disembowel him. From the depth of the cut, he knew it hadn't missed doing just that by more than a few millimeters. Around him were a few articles of clothing that had belonged to the previous occupants. Finding a robe, he cut a long strip from it applied it to the wound, tying it off tightly. That's got a hole for now, he thought, wincing in pain. Ducking out into the alley, he turned to run when he saw one of the beasts a few yards away, and Gregel quickly pulled a grenade and yanked the pin free, tossing it to the beast, and he smiled when he saw it catch the grenade, looking at it quizzically. Gregel didn't wait for it to detonate. Instead, he used the time to put some distance between him and the beast as he slid into another collapsed hut, the grenade detonated in the distance. He could hear the shrapnel hitting the sides of the hut, but he didn't hear the monster screaming. What he didn't see was the creature had bit down on the grenade as it tried to figure out what it was. It had detonated in the monster's mouth and blown its head completely off. 
Its headless body fell to the ground, fountaining gore into the dirt of the narrow alleyway. He could hear several of the beasts screeching out a warning. Unsure of what they were doing, Gregel ducked out of the hut and glanced around. He needed to get above the creatures to get a look at what they were doing. Glancing around, he saw that he was still close to the main building. Racing back through the front door, he slipped into the stairwell that led to the minaret. Pulling the locking mechanism out of the way, he opened the hatch and climbed out into the small platform. He crouched low and began looking around the ruined village, and he smiled when he saw a light on the horizon. The sun was going to be up soon. Reaching into his cargo pocket, he took out his last grenade. He slapped the remaining C4 to it, and he pulled the pin and lobbed it at the group. It sailed through the air and landed at the feet of the nearest creature. The beast all turned to see what had hit the ground. They all stared in confusion except for one creature. It looked directly at Gregel with hatred burning in his eyes. As Gregel ducked low, the beast leaped into the hut next to them. The explosion shook the buildings, partially collapsing two huts. The beasts standing close to the blast were torn apart. Gregel looked over the edge of the minaret to see the creature that had looked him in the eyes, emerging from the rubble of the hut. It turned to him and roared a challenge. It was so loud, Gregel could feel it resonating in his chest and hear it echoing through the mountains. Drawing his Arden's knife, Gregel waited for the charge that he knew was about to come. The beast wasted no time racing toward him and leaping onto the roof of the building with ease. As it ripped the minaret apart, Gregel slashed it across the upper arm, revealing bone with the depth of the slash. The beast ignored the wound, feeling no pain in its fury. It backhanded Gregel and sent him flying across the roof, and he slid to a stop, blood pouring from his mouth and nose. He knew his jaw was fractured and his nose was broken. The ringing in his ears told him he likely had a concussion as well. Forcing himself to his feet, he looked at the beast and began singing his death song. He held the Arden's blade in one hand and the Sayak tomahawk in the other, and the beast roared and crouched for the attack. Gray Eagle readied his weapons, knowing this was to be his final moments. He was prepared to die as a Lakota warrior. Singing at the top of his lungs, he readied his weapons and crouched. He intended to do as much damage to the beast before it killed him. Visions of his grandfather swam before his eyes. He was going to die as a dog soldier. He would hold until the last breath escaped his lungs. As the creature started to spring toward him, the roar of a heavy machine gun erupted, shattering the tableau that was unfolding. Gregel watched as a full barrage of high-velocity machine gun fire ripped the creature apart, and Gregel looked to the sky to see who had rescued him. As the creature fell over backward, an Apache helicopter raced overhead and banked over the village. Behind it, two Blackhawk helicopters came in low and landed at the edge of the village. Soldiers began to pour out and heading into the village. 
Gregor looked around and didn't see any of the creatures remaining, but he did see a considerable number of bodies. There would be no denying what had happened here. There were more than 20 Barmano lying in the dust of this dead town. Heading down the stairs, he emerged into the main room to find his men opening the door to the cellar. The two men entered the main door and looked around, their weapons still at the ready. Gregel turned and looked at them, swaying slightly on his feet. Holy shit, Gregel, said one of the men. This is getting to be a habit. Gregel smiled when he recognized his friend, Carrie Pocket Doc Davis. Looks like the Air Force got here too late for the party, said Doc. Doc, how the hell are you? asked Gregel, quoting a line from a famous movie. Why, I'm rolling, replied Doc in his thick Mississippi accent. It's good to see you, brother, said Gregel, as the Doc slipped beneath his arm to support his weight. Looks like you need my services, said Doc. My men, said Gregel, some of them need it more than me. Don't worry, brochacho, said Doc. We brought more than one medic. I'll take care of you and let the others check your men. Let's get you looked at and blow this popsicle stand. One by one, the wounded were evaluated and escorted to the waiting choppers. Even the local survivors would be taken from the area. No one wanted to remain behind in this village of death. What the hell are those things? asked Doc. Well, the locals call them Barmano, said Gray Eagle. It's some kind of Bigfoot creature. Well, that's for people above my pay grade to figure out, said Doc. Let's unask this place post-haste. As they headed for the chopper, Greg could see that all of his men were being taken care of. They were being moved to the two Blackhawks, and above them a pair of Apache attack choppers circled the area providing protection. You forgot your pack, said Aben, handing Greigel his rucksack. Greigel accepted it and slid the strap over his shoulder. Thank you, he said, nodding to Aben. Thank you, said Aben. You saved us all. Gregel said nothing. I didn't know you spoke Pashtu, said Doc, nodding at the pilot. Gregel shrugged. I do a bet, he replied. Once they were on board the choppers, they lifted into the air. Gregel leaned back against the cool metal of the chopper and he closed his eyes. Doc began checking his wounds as they lifted into the air. While Doc was working, Gregel noticed something hard in his pack. He slid it off and glanced inside and found a bag that he didn't recognize. He opened it and found it was full of diamonds. Glancing over at Aben, the old mullah smiled and nodded. You earned it, said Aben. Gregel leaned back and tied the bag shut. He knew what he would do with it. It was all going to the families of the men who had been killed. He'd even give some to McKinney on the condition that he marry the girl he'd promised. Under the circumstances, McKinney was probably going to be damn glad to see her. If there was anything left, he'd find something worthwhile to invest it in. Hey, said Doc, while I've got you as a captive audience, let me tell you about this idea I have for a company when I get back home. One moment, said a man in a completely sanitized uniform. There was no rank displayed, no unit patch, or even a name tape. I need a moment with First Sergeant Gregel, said the man. What can I do for you, sir? asked Gregel. 
The rest of your team will be debriefed when we land, said the man, but I needed to speak to you before then. How should I address you, sir? asked Gray Eagle, fishing for details. My name and rank are not pertinent to this discussion, First Sergeant, said the man. There is something I need you to understand. Yes, sir, said Gray Eagle. What's that? I know what you think you just saw in that village, said the man, but you will not be allowed to tell that story. Your unit was attacked by insurgents. Nothing more, nothing less. There will be no mention of the creatures. Do you understand me? Why, sir? asked Gray Eagle. There are bodies all over the place down there if you want them for proof. You're not listening to me, First Sergeant, said the man impatiently. You were attacked by insurgents. That is a direct order. Do you understand? I don't know who you are or how you fit into my chain of command, said Gray Eagle, frowning. The man produced a folded piece of paper and handed it to Gray Eagle. Read this, said the man angrily. The top of the letter read, From the Office of the Secretary of Defense. It authorized the man to act on behalf of SecDef and instructed whoever read it to afford the bearer of the letter to be given the full authorization of the Office of the Secretary. In no uncertain terms, that meant Gregel had to accept his orders without question. Yes, sir, said Gregel, handing the letter back. Again, First Sergeant, said the man. You and your men were ambushed by insurgents. Fast movers are inbound and will be dropping enough fuel air bombs on that location to leave no trace of anything that happened. Now, as I said, you will never mention the creatures in any report or conversation by order of SecDef. Do you understand? Yes, sir, said Gregel. Understood. The man then moved away and sat on the other side of the chopper. He put on a radio headset and he began speaking softly. Okay, now about that idea, said Doc, moving to resume bandaging the wounds. Gregel looked out the side of the chopper, and in the distance he saw massive detonations as fireballs ran high into the sky. All evidence of the battle was gone now. He understood that he had to keep it to himself, and people with the kind of power that this mysterious man had could make him disappear just as easily. Leaning back, he put his head against the wall and he closed his eyes. Despite what Sekdef wanted the public story to be, Gray Eagle knew the truth. One day it would come out, and one day it would all be made public. Until then, he would keep quiet. Somewhere during the flight, he fell asleep. He dreamed of the strange creatures called Barmano and the precious cargo he was carrying. It wasn't going to be easy getting it back to the States, but he knew just the person to talk to. He would make sure the families of his men were taken care of. That's far more than the Army was going to do. ¶¶